0: Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Author Susie Becker asked elementary-age students their answers to life's most difficult questions, questions about crime, about poverty. And then she gathered their answers together in a little volume called The All Better Book. One of my favorite collections of answers comes in response to a question about community. And the question is this. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? And here's a few of their answers. The first one. People should find lonely people and ask them their name and address. Then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. When you have an even amount of each, assign lonely and not lonely people together in the newspaper. (laughs) Someone's really got a future in management, don't you think? Here's a really creative one. Make food that talks to you when you eat. For instance, it would say, how are you doing? And what happened to you today? (laughs) That would make for a really interesting meal, wouldn't it? Here's a third. We could get people a pet or a husband or a wife Because all those things are the same, right? (laughs) And take them places. It makes you wonder about his concept of marriage. But probably the most heartbreaking response of all comes from Brian, age eight. Sing a song. Stomp your feet. Read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. All of us, all of us have a longing for belonging. All of us long to belong to a community where we are fully known and completely loved. It is the greatest longing of the human heart. And what we discovered last week is that that kind of community is not just possible, it is a part of God's plan for each of our lives. God created humanity for community. In fact, God created each of us intentionally incomplete so that we would crave community, He created us with a people-shaped hole in our hearts that he will not fill. And so we can't be fully who we were meant to be. You can't be you, I can't be me, unless we're a part of God's life-giving we. And that's why the very next step in this disciple-making journey is to love our 12 together. After our 12 experiences God's love and is drawn to it, the very next step is to connect them to a life-giving community where they belong. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say our 12, I encourage you to drop by the UConnect Welcome Center right after worship and pick up a copy of the 12 people you love. Because that's the first step in this disciple-making journey that we began last year. And it forms the foundation for this discipleship spring training for this year, for what we're talking about this year. The second step, which is loving our 12 together. Connecting our 12 to life-giving relationships. Loving our 12 together. So, yes, last week we, we discussed, we answered the question of why. Why is community so important? Why do we long to belong? This week, today, we'll be answering the question of how. If life-giving community is so important, then how do we create it? How do we grow community in our lives? And to answer that question, we're going to turn to the early church in Acts chapter 2. Luke describes how these first followers of Jesus were able to create truly life-giving communities. In fact, if you've been a part of the church for a while now, you've probably heard a few Sermons, maybe one or two, maybe three or four sermons on Acts chapter 2, because it's typically seen as the golden age of Christianity. They were able to to create powerfully transformational communities where people belonged. So how did they do that? The answer is found in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up, turn them on, flip over to Acts chapter 2. Verse 42. Now, to give you a little context before we dive in. After Jesus rose from the dead, went to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to empower his followers for what would come next. And the gift that the Holy Spirit gives to his followers is the ability to speak in other languages. I want you to think about that for a moment. As far as we can tell, the majority of Jesus' first followers were Jews from Palestine who all spoke the same language. So why would they need the ability to speak in different languages? And the answer is, they wouldn't. Not if they were planning to remain huddled in one room. If all they wanted was to grow their personal relationship with God, to nurture their small group, then the ability to speak in other languages was absolutely useless to them. But that was never God's plan for them. God didn't give them the Holy Spirit so that they could remain in their holy huddle. He wanted them to go and share the message of what Jesus had just done and raise up the next generation of disciples. He gave them the Holy Spirit so that they would be empowered to be disciple-makers. And that underlines what we've been emphasizing at our church, that to be a disciple is to be a disciple-maker, We can't truly say that we're following Jesus if we aren't taking seriously his final command to go and make disciples of all nations. And that's why that's why the very first gift that the Holy Spirit gives to this community is the ability to share God's message with the people around them. Because all of this happens at Pentecost. And at Pentecost, Jews from all over the world would gather there in Jerusalem to worship and to pray. And they all spoke different languages. So God enables them to hear his message in their own language. And as a result of this blessing, 3,000 people, 3,000 new disciples are baptized that day. Amen? Amen. And then what happens next? What happens to these new disciples of Jesus? Check out verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to to prayer. Now, there is so much here. We could spend the rest of our time just unpacking all the key words in this this sentence. But if we take a step back instead and look at the overall message of this verse as a whole, what we find is these next disciples— The next generation of disciples were connected to a life-giving community. The very next step for them was to be connected to a community of Christ. I want you to notice that this was a community of Christ. This was not a social club. They didn't gather simply to hear good music and listen to inspiring messages. No, this was a community centered on the person of Christ. That's why they devoted themselves to learning from him, to be connected to him, and to commune with him. This was a community of Christ. And second, this was a community of Christ. The Bible says that they devoted themselves. In other words, their personal relationship with God happened in the context of community. They followed Jesus together, and that's why Luke continues in verse 44 by saying that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They were so together that they even shared their possessions. See, these new disciples weren't just given instruction manuals and then sent off to figure out how to follow Jesus by themselves. No, from the very beginning, discipleship happened in the context of community. That's why Todd Bolsinger writes that the early church was primarily a body of people who gathered regularly to eat, learn, love, and pray together. If the purpose of the Bible is to perform it, then the place to perform it is in the community where God is personally and powerfully present in a life-transforming way. The place to perform it is in community. Discipleship always happened in the context of community. That's why there's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. Because from the very beginning, to follow Jesus meant to be a, belong to his life giving community. This was a truly life giving, life transforming community. So the question is then how did they form it? How did they grow that kind of community? That answer is found in verse 46. 46 says, Every day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Notice how often they gathered together. They didn't gather together once a week. They didn't gather together twice a week. They gathered together how often? Every day. Every day. And when they gathered together, they didn't just worship and then go home. They entered each other's homes. They ate together. They did life together. People rarely drift into life-giving community. So if you want to belong, if you want to belong to a community who who helps you to become the best version of yourself, if you want to be part of a community that that helps you to be known fully and loved community, then you have to make time for it. We have to slow if we want community to grow because community always takes time. Dr. Jeffrey Hall, a communications professor at the University of Kansas recently published research on the connection between time spent in friendship and the closeness of friendship. And his conclusion was this. Time together was the key predictor of friendship closeness. In other words, if you want to be friends with someone, you have to spend time with them. That makes sense, right? So how much time do we have to spend? Well, according to Hall, it took 40 to 60 hours of time spent together to form a casual friendship. Just to be casual friends, you have to spend 40 to 60 hours together. Moving from casual friend to friend required 80 to 100 hours. And then moving from friend to best friend took 160 to 200 hours. Relationships take time. We have to slow if we want our community to grow. See, we can't build first-century community on a 21st-century timeline. We can't. The 20th and 21st centuries have been filled with inventions designed to save us time. Things like smart robots that vacuum our floors for us, smart sprinklers that water our lawns for us, frozen dinners that cook in five minutes, instant coffee that brews in 30 seconds. And sometimes, some of us want that level of convenience to enter into our spiritual journeys. We're looking for quick and easy Christianity, quick and easy community. But community is not a frozen dinner. It doesn't come prepackaged in convenient, easy-to-consume portions. No, community is messy. It's unpredictable. And it always, always takes time. You can't microwave Christianity. And that's why Pastor John Ortberg writes, maybe the biggest single barrier to deep connectedness for most of us is simply the pace of our lives. How often do you hear or say things like, we've got to get together soon, or let's do lunch in a few weeks when things settle down? Have you ever said that before? Yeah. The requirement for true intimacy is chunks, chunks of unhurried time. If you think you can fit deep community into the cracks of an overloaded schedule, then think again. You can't do community in a hurry. You can't listen in a hurry. You can't mourn with those who mourn in a hurry, or rejoice in a hurry with those who rejoice. Many people lack great friends for the simple reason that they have never made pursuing community a high priority. We must slow for community to grow. And if you're anything like me, this is difficult because it feels like I never have enough time. Like I'm rushing from one unfinished project to the next. I have a list of to-dos that never seems to get to done. And some of us are almost addicted with the rush of being in a rush. We're so used to being in a hurry that even when we have a break, we don't always take it. Like, have you ever gone on a vacation and found that it took almost a full day for you to slow down your heart enough for you to enjoy it? Has that ever happened to you? Or do you ever find yourself hurrying even though you have no place to hurry towards? Like, you find yourself speeding in your car even though you have plenty of time to get to your destination. Or you find yourself being impatient at the checkout line. That never happens to any of us, right? Right? We find ourselves getting impatient at the checkout line, even though we aren't late to our next appointment. It reminds me of a song by Alabama. I'm in a hurry to get things done, oh, I'm rushing, rushing till life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry, and I don't know why. See, hurry is not a state of being. It's a state of the heart. We can be busy and not be in a hurry. Jesus was often busy. He had places to go, people to see, things to do. But we never see Jesus in a hurry. We never see Jesus rushing off. In fact, his followers were often frustrated with him because they didn't think he hurried enough. Jesus always had time for what was important. He always had time for community. And the reality is, most of us make time for what we think is important. I mean, think about the time that you spent this past week earning money, studying, advancing your career, watching Netflix, perusing the internet, posting on Instagram. We make time for things that we think are important. So when it comes to the availability of time, it is not a matter of quantity, it's a matter of Priority. So the question is, how important is community to you? Because we can't do community in a hurry. We can't microwave community. We have to slow for community to grow. See, slowing down is the first step to building life-giving community. But it isn't the final step. And that's why throughout the rest of this year, we will be journeying, we will be journeying together on this, this journey to love our 12 together. One way we're going to do that is that we'll be hosting better together moments throughout the year. Different groups will be hosting small, um, simple gatherings where it encourages us to just slow down and connect in relationship with each other, especially across generations. Better together moments. In fact, our very first better together moment is today. The Inlight Sabbath School is hosting our entire church right outside in the courtyard after second service. There's gonna be music, refreshments. It's just an opportunity for us to slow down a bit on Sabbath before we rush off to our next activity. Better Together moments. We'll be having those throughout the year. Another way that we'll be continuing this journey is that we will be highlighting different groups who have already begun creating life-giving relationships so that we can learn from them. And then we're going to invite them together. We invite the leaders from these groups together to help us to create a common DNA that defines what a life-giving group looks like. And then... Later on in the year, we'll share that DNA in an event that empowers anybody who wants to start a life-giving community to start one. Just different steps that we're going to be taking throughout this year. But the very first step, the very first step that we're going to take is to slow down for community. And it's an important step because unless we do it, then life-giving community can't even begin. But if we take that step, Community can grow anywhere. It can grow in the White House. It can grow in our homes. It can grow at work. Anywhere we slow, community can grow. So my question for you is simple. How will you grow community this week? In your context, how will you slow for community to grow. And I want to get really practical right now. I want you to think of one area of your life. Pick one area of your life. Home, school, work, friendship group. Pick one area of your life and think of three ideas. Three ideas of how you can slow down for community this week. They don't have to be fancy. They don't have to be elaborate. Just simple ideas. For those of you who are more kinesthetic learners, we've created a box inside the bulletin where you can even write down those ideas. And as you do this, I'd like to share with you a few of my ideas of how we can slow for community this week. First idea, we can choose to have lunch with our coworkers or our classmates instead of using that lunchtime to get more work done. We can travel in cars with conversations rather than headphones. We can take out those ear pods. We can play games. We can participate in a local trivia night, invite friends over for dinner, or meet up for a meal. We can gather with our family at the end of the day or at the end of the week, just, just to talk and to pray. We can read together, walk together, or eat a leisurely meal together. We can turn off the TV, silence the cell phones, put down the iPads and just have a conversation with a real person face to face. We can gather with our family or friends on Friday night and open the Sabbath together with laughter and food. We can host a weekly small group in our homes. You know, the newest version of the 12 people you love actually contains a six-week small group study guide that you can use to launch your small group. We can stop and chat with our friends after worship or after Sabbath school, we can drop by our very first better together moment. Just little ways that we can slow down. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to just pick one of those. Pick one of those ideas and put them in action this week. And for those of you who are familiar with social media, I'd encourage you to maybe even take a picture of it Upload it onto your social media account with the hashtag BetterTogether. Just another way to spur on our journey to love our 12 together. Because community is essential for following Jesus. Discipleship always happened in the context of community. In fact, here at the Loma Linda University Church, we believe in community so much that we've invested $34.5 million into it. You know that thing that we're constructing next door? It's not just a building. It's a place. It's a space for life-giving community to grow. Amen. Our outdoor amphitheater, our outdoor courtyard, our Sabbath school classrooms, our fellowship hall, our rooftop terrace, our You Reach Cafe. These are spaces that have been intentionally designed to help us to grow community. But the only way to maximize that investment is if we take the time to build community, if we slow for community to grow. When my family and I moved to Loma Linda, it was a bit overwhelming. Now, we had mostly attended small churches, so coming here was quite the culture shock. It was just so big. And we wondered if we would ever find true community. But about now two years later, we've not only made some great friends, we now belong to some truly life-giving communities. And they all grew in different ways, in different places. Some of them grew here at church. Others grew in people's homes. But the one thing they all had in common was they took time to grow. We had to slow for community to grow. Let me give you an example. A little bit, a few months into my first year here, Pastor Doug Mace had this brilliant idea of helping our support staff and our pastoral staff get to know each other better by pairing us up for a meal together. And so, since this was Pastor Doug Mace, we didn't just simply pick names out of a hat, that would have been way too boring. He had a spinning wheel, music, the whole shebang. It was very dramatic. Typical Doug Mace event. And at the end of it, I was matched up with Hitomi Vu. And she was serving in the children's ministry at the time. And honestly, honestly, the thought of the two of us just going out for a meal together by ourselves was a little bit awkward. It really was. We had only had like two conversations together before this. And so we, we decided that we were going to invite our spouses to join us. So the four of us went out for dinner together. At first, we were just doing this to just report back that it was done. Right? <laughs> but by the end, it had become so much more than that. We found out that we had way more in common than we had imagined And so that one first meal became two, two became three. Pretty soon, we were hanging out in each other's homes. We're celebrating each other's birthdays. This past spring break, our families, along with one other family, went for a week-long ski trip to Bryan Head together. And now we count the voos among our closest friends here in Loma Linda. All because... Pastor Doug spun a wheel, (laughs) and we committed ourselves to making time for community. Community can grow anywhere, as long as we are willing to slow for community to grow. So take time for community. Make space for it, because that's how we become better together.